Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Yeah. All right, everybody. This is in Liberty and Health. After a few technical issues, um, we communicated with Don from Beyond the Grave to get his good blessing and do this podcast and have a stable internet connection. <laughs> I got the great Tommy Sammons with me today. I've been looking forward to this chat. I feel like I've known this dude for 10 years already. Dude, how you doing? I'm good, <laughs> man. I'm good. Just whatever. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I, I did just see a message. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll start off pretty heavy. The national debt just crossed thirty trillion dollars. Um, dude, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> I fuck it, man. I, you know, I was listening to Glenn Beck the other day, and uh, there was a Freedom of Information Act released uh i think it was the levy institute had been fighting the fed for like 10 years trying to get this foia from tarp and they had printed out 29 trillion when they told everybody it was 5 trillion back in 2008 it was actually 29 trillion they sent trillions of dollars overseas to a bunch of foreign banks and then this whole nonsense with covid started and they started pumping a trillion dollars a week into the economy well, that's been like 95 weeks or some shit like that. It's like, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's like $95 trillion. It's, I, I have no, there it's, it, it's either complete idiocy when it comes to economics or they're intentionally collapsing the society. And I've gotten way beyond the point of thinking these people are incompetent. Yeah, dude, it's tough to say because you look at, everything that's going on right now and the vaccine mandates, the effectiveness of the vaccines declining significantly over time and nobody is having it. Um, How can they keep up the facade? It's like, everybody's kind of saying emperor has no clothes, but we're still chugging along $30 trillion in debt. Um, We're fighting, you know, active hot wars in six countries i believe we ended one thank god but like dude it's it's rough it's freaking rough i don't even i don't know what to make of it anymore and, and then they 
Yeah, and then they want to start another war with Russia or some shit. You know, yeah. you're like, these people have no... They're... It's... It, I mean, I... I don't have any other way of saying it other than this is a, a complete shift shift in the way that we, we were experienced governance in our lifetime. And, you know, they are definitely leaning on that old Rahm Emanuel quote, never let a serious crisis go to waste. And then they, they've been, I mean, they've been throttling us. It, it's mm -hmm. like, man, I don't even know what to do. Um, I talk a lot, like one of the things that, that uh, Ryan and I are, are talking about doing is really getting this discord up and running and, and starting to have people on doing live streams and teaching skills because it's, you're going to have to start doing things on your own that you never thought you were going to have to do. And uh, you're going to need to find a place where there, where you can get, get those skills and you can learn that knowledge. Uh, and I mean, I don't, I have a, I have a platform, so it's like, well, let's, I know some people, so let's see what we can put together, at least help some people out. You know, uh, I'm not a rich guy, so I can pretty much guarantee you're not going to be rich either if you listen to me, but you know, <laughs> you might be better off. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on is because much like myself, despite the fact that I may appear to be this, you know, athletic libertarian guy and musician, um, I'm a blue collar guy. I mean, my family has owned automotive shops in um, southwestern Pennsylvania for the last three generations. Um, I've rebuilt $100,000 Escalades top to bottom. I mean, I've done that for the last 10 years, and my family's been doing it for many, 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 many decades before me. Um, I feel like we have a vantage point and an advantage when it comes to a lot of the stuff that's kind of coming down the pipes because we're used to working with our hands, right? We're used to getting dirty. We're used to you know, kind of being out there in the field and having to figure problems out for ourselves. We're not necessarily there to be led. We are here to kind of be leaders in a way. And I feel like that's the way um, trucking is for a lot of people. And as a mechanic, a flat rate guy, right? We get paid by the jobs that we turn and the jobs that we do. You have to be a leader in order to make money. And like I said, I feel like a lot of blue collar guys kind of have the same outlook. good oh internet's jumping around on me again but i think i caught what you were saying there mm -hmm. um yeah we, it's a uh, you know the, i don't know anything else other than you know working my whole life i uh, 17 years old i was i was a grinder and a sandblaster and a you know for rebuilding cranes i i just i that's what i know and all I know to do is go out there and, you know, stick my dick in the dirt and see what happens. And, you know, so I started raising chickens. I, I was like, all right, well, I can at least, I at least know, like, I'm going to have food because I have a stocked pond and I have chickens. You know, like, worst come to worst, we'll eat, be eating fish and eggs, you know, for the rest of our life. But we, there's, I, I don't see, I don't foresee a way where, I can jump on, I, I just, I don't, I don't see that these technologies that these people are so dependent on nowadays are going to are going to last when, when, it, when people bring Bitcoin up to me, yeah, I've invested a little bit of money into Bitcoin, but I don't have any trust in it because 
it doesn't take anything for a situation like this where the internet is just all haywire and y you know they they could shut this down at any minute like just completely shut it down mm -hmm. not that i think they want to but they could if, if it if they felt like there was a threat to them you think for a second they wouldn't shut down the entire internet look what they've done to the economy look what they've done to the supply chain mm -hmm. just to keep power just over the last couple of years look what they've used covid to justify and if you think that they're going to let a little discomfort get in the way of their rule then you're sadly mistaken yeah and i totally think that's a reasonable way to approach it um kind of made me think of january 6 when you said if they thought you were a threat um it's funny that they're kind of dragging out January 6th is like the gift that keeps on giving for government. If you follow what I'm saying, um, January Every 6th day is January 6th, right? <laughs> but January 6th is to blame for everything. <laughs> but it's like, look, if they legitimately thought these people were a threat, they'll commit a genocide in Yemen. Do you really think they wouldn't reduce these people to fucking ashes if they legitimately thought they threatened them in any kind of way? If you really think that, like, they yeah. thought, at, like, I don't know what to tell you if you thought that people were actually scared. No, they don't care. Those people would have bullets in their skulls before we could even blink if they legitimately thought those people were going to harm them in any kind of way. No, it's a narrative. I mean, it, it, it just gives them, it gives them leverage because the, the, the average person has not spent their entire life studying and watching and, 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 and paying attention to news. Like one of the things that you realize when you start talking to people is that they very rarely make it past the headlines. Yep. And, and that's why the headlines are always lies. That's why the headlines never tell you what the real story is. And you, you, you read a headline and then you get three quarters of the way through the article and the article completely dis <laughs> dismembers the headline. Yep. It's like just complete, it's like two different worlds in one, you know, one article. And so the, and I don't blame people for this. Like it, it's not, it, I don't think it's their fault. They, they were conditioned to be this way. You're talking about a trillion dollar a year propaganda campaign that we got on our backs constantly, 15,000 hours of government education. And, and then the people like you and I are outliers. The mm -hmm. outliers aren't the ones that are going along with the, with, with the narrative. And so this is all a narrative. And as long as they can keep some semblance of legitimacy on their side, then they have that narrative. And that's why you have the, the whole Russia thing going on right now, you know, where they're talking about possibly going to war with Russia over Ukraine is because they're trying to keep people in a constant state of fear so people keep listening to them. And as long as people are listening to them, then their their thoughts and their activities are based off of what they are being told. But what you're finding is more and more people are fleeing, right? Uh, one, one of the things that struck me here in the last couple of weeks, how many conservatives are are like, defending bill maher and because a couple of things he said that we've been saying for a couple of years now and and they're like oh wow bill maher is one of the good ones you know 
And these people are so desperate to have somebody just, just give them some, some sense of hope, some sense that they're not crazy. And that's how I shape my show. That's why I, I keep that blue collar line about it. Number one, I, I'm not, I'm too stupid to lie. And so I'm just going to keep being myself. But number two, like these are the people that we can attract to the Liberty movement and to the Liberty space are these conservatives that feel like nobody's speaking for them. They've been bitching about rhinos since I was 20 years old, man. <laughs> and nobody has stepped, no Liberty minded person has stepped into that space and said, Hey, I'm not a rhino. I'm not even a Republican, but here's where we agree. And here's where we can work together to move forward the path to Liberty because you give, they give lip service to Liberty. And like, you can think what you want to think about like conservatives, but they're at least their mindset, their speech, the way that they address subjects is at least in the right genre, right? <laughs> like we can at least have that conversation. You know, you and I were talking a lot about music earlier and it would be like if I, if I ran into somebody who listened to, um, a band I really don't like, like, let's say machine head, like I don't really care for machine head. I don't, I, I like some of their old stuff. Like locust was a great song. They had a couple of really good songs but for the most part. I don't like machine head. I don't like the way that they, that Rob Flynn like approaches everything that he in, involves politics into everything tries to shun a bunch of his, his followers, his listeners. I don't like that. But if I ran into a guy who listened to Machine Head, I would at least have some common ground to speak about Lamb of God or Cataclysm or some of these other bands, right? And that's what I see when I look at conservatives. It's like, at least we have somewhere to to, to kind of like, to talk from. We, we, we see the same reality in front of us. Whereas at, at this point in time, I have no similar reality to the left for the most part, right? I just sat there and watched my wife for two days argue with people over this Canadian protest that my one of my best friends was at, you know, and he just had a, his article published in Newsweek, shout out wow. to Gord, which is, which is just fantastic for him. And I'm like, okay, you have these lefties taking the side of the global elite and demonizing truckers. And like, as they're arguing, I just looked at my wife and I said, you know what you should do just in quotations, respond to them with workers of the world unite. It's <laughs> they, the proletariat is standing up against the bourgeoisie and you're bitching, you know, yeah. like what's wrong with you people? Yeah. It's shit, but it's, it's completely, it's, it's like Scott Adams pointed this out when Trump was running that, that you have two you have one television screen and you have people that are seeing two different movies play on that tv screen and it's just insanity yeah we'll see and it's funny this is kind of like what i see in jordan peterson and donald trump is that all they had to do was essentially tell people i don't hate you right because what did they hear from the mainstream news for the whole eight years of obama we hate you, you're racist, you're misogynist, you're sexist, you're a terrible person for being the white blue collar guy who makes 50 grand a year trying to feed his kids and his dog and put up his, you know, white picket fence around his house. You're an asshole for that. And then all it took was once again, Donald Trump or Jordan Peterson coming along and saying, hey, you know what? 
life is tough. We don't hate you. We're on your side. And guess what? People fell head over fucking heels for those guys because people are dying for the message that, hey, I can relate to you. I understand your plight. I understand you're getting fucked by all these people. And then what does the left do? They say, no, no, you're a horrible person. Let's go with the warmonger. Hillary fucking Clinton and Justin Trudeau who want to stick a needle (laughs) on absolutely everybody's fucking arm. Like, could you be more out of touch with the majority of fucking Americans? Like, what's wrong with you? You're running the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. You're good. You're good. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Um, no, it, it, the, then you have this, you know, you, you see Justin Trudeau come out. And he's talking all this shit. And he's like, yeah, I'll march with Black Lives Matter, but I'm not marching with these fascists. You know, like, you're like, what the hell, dude? You know, you had a couple of truck drivers that were about to lose their job because they refused to get vaccinated. They were going to lose their job. So they decided, okay, we're going to go, we're going to drive to Ottawa. And this turned into like 500,000 people. Like, I don't know. And they're not all truck drivers. They're not all truck drivers. So it's like, there are people that feel the same. I wrote this in the article that I just released a couple of weeks ago at the Libertarian Institute. You're not alone. Like this whole, all this gaslighting and shit like that, this is all a bunch of bullshit, right? And we all know it's a bunch of bullshit, but so many people are afraid to speak up because they're afraid to look crazy in front of people they know and that they respect and they love and they care for. But if they start, if people start, I had a guy come up to me and I, this was in the article. He was he's 20. 25 years old, young guy. I really like the guy. Uh, have a lot of respect for the kid. He works hard. He's a hard worker, you know, and he walked up to me. He goes, man, I don't know what the hell's going on with me for the last two years since COVID came about. I'm just so tired, man. I'm just so tired. I was like, man, they're doing it to us all. It's not just you. This kid should be like at, at the peak of his game, 25 years old. And he's just like, he, he, has trouble getting out of bed, you know, because he's just so exhausted by the constant shifting of the narrative and it's just being bombarded and he feels crazy. And we sat there, we, he went with me, uh, on a run a while back and we, we talked for like four hours and he's like, so I'm not nuts. And I'm like, no, dude, you're not fucking nuts. You're normal. You're the normal one. Like all, right. all this shit that's being thrown at you is what's fucking crazy. I'm sorry if I'm cussing too much, man. You know, I cuss. Um, so, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, all you're, you're the one who's having, you're, you're being bombarded with all this propaganda, all these, all these, you know, narratives that change weekly. And it's exhausting to these people because they don't know what they're dealing with. They, they've never seen it before. They've never read about it. They don't know. They didn't read the Gulag Archipelago. They didn't, that's just not who these people are. It doesn't mean they're stupid. It just means they're not aware of the way that these propaganda techni- techniques are used to break down the senses of people in order to get you to just follow along. 
and and they're and, and it's driving this it's it's this dividing line and it's it's dividing people that see each other every day all of them thinking the same thing every single fucking one of them afraid to say anything because they're afraid they're going to look crazy in front of their peers because the mainstream narrative has been shoveled down their throat for so long they think that they're nuts and that they're seeing something that isn't there that's the gaslighting and they're doing it to us all and some of us have the responsibility because we understand what's going on to speak up and say no dude you're not nuts you're not alone you're not crazy like this is this is intentional and they're doing this to you not for you right yeah and i completely get it and it, it kind of frustrates me to see people who are so bitten on the narrative that they can't pull away like I got boomer con coworkers, right? These dudes are 40 to 50 years old that, oh, you know, I got right. vaccinated. COVID's going to kill us all. I mean, they're just as terrified as some people on the left. But, you know, I want to like just slap them around. But then I remember like, oh, wait, they literally watch the news every single morning. They don't sit here and consume content like you and I to inform ourselves about all this bullshit going on. Right. And they're just not in the same headspace. So it's our job to inform them to try and pull them over to our side say hey look you're you know that little sliver of doubt that you got in your mind that's not like the crazy voice that's the sane voice that's the voice that's trying to pull you back and realize like holy shit all this stuff is not normal what we had in 2019 wasn't necessarily normal but it was way better than what the fuck we got going on now where we're being told that we're all going to die and we're terrible people just because we don't want to take a drug from big pharma and that now all of a sudden big pharma is your best friend and you can trust everything that the science says, you know? So I, I, we really have to appeal to these people and come in an empathetic way where like, Hey, we understand, but listen, you're not crazy. We're on your side. We're on the same side, right? The government's feeding you this bullshit and you don't have to buy it. You could say, I don't want this anymore. And we can figure out solutions from there. Mm. Yeah. And libertarians are bad about this. And, and, and really it's something that all of us, I think need to work on. Um, I, I was, I work with people I genuinely like, and I've, I've known like one of the guys that I work with, he's I've known for, 12, 13 years mm -hmm. because he worked with my dad too. And, um, so I've known him for quite a while and I, it was, it was a situation with him that, that actually moved me from being mad to just feeling bad. Like I went from being angry constantly about everything that I'm witnessing to just feeling bad for the people that are being subjected to it and don't know that they can speak up. And in, he was sitting there. It was, it was in December. The company we work for just re reinstated mask mandates for when you're inside the store. And he, he called me aside. I, it was just me and him there at the time. And he goes, Oh, Tommy, I, I forgot to tell you, man, uh, we got to start wearing masks again when we're inside the store. And I was like, all right. Cause I try not to like react whenever these things are going on, because I want to see what other people are saying. So I'm trying to listen and not react. And so I'm like, okay. And he goes, um, because it's a bunch of bullshit. I know I got the vaccine, so I didn't have to wear a mask anymore. 
and it was just like something in me. I, it just broke at that moment. And I just looked at him and it was like, it wasn't like condemnation that I was looking at him with. It was like sympathy. And I was like, did you really think that was going to work? And it was that moment that I was like, oh, these people, like they've been had, they've been, they've been, they've been bamboozled, man. There's no other way of saying it. They've been had, they've been lied to They're They've been conned and manipulated into these actions in believing that it was what was going to get them back to a normal life, which is all they were trying to get in the first place. And they were under the impression that I just do this and it will be normal. And yeah, for some of us, we're like, dude, it's been two years. Like, really? You really believe that? But at the same time, you got to be like, they weren't taught that the government lies to you. Like they, that's like, that's not in their headspace. Like you said, they're not net deep in this shit looking at WMDs and, you know, MK Ultra and researching these things. I I could probably bring MK Ultra up to this guy and he'd look at me like I was in like, what? What are you talking about? I've never heard of this. Like, this is our language that that we think everybody should know. It's like, no, libertarians got to get off this mountaintop where they think everybody knows or reads or thinks the same way they do. Like our, our job is to speak to the normies in normie terms. And I find that I'm quiet a lot more than I usually would be because I'm trying to figure out what is the best way to talk to them. Like I'm listening to what they're saying. I'm listening to their concerns so that therefore I can say, well, or, or I'll just make a smart ass comment. Right. And just make them laugh. And, and then, but it, but it plants that seed like, oh yeah, it is fucking ridiculous. Right. And that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get them to see the absurdity. Right. And how do you get them to see the absurdity? Well, it's not telling them they're stupid or they need to read more. Yeah. Like here's, Here's a 1500 Rothbard page Rothbard book. Have fun. You, then you'll, you know, be a third of the way to where I am, you know, or something like what, it, like, that's not the way that we're going to beat this. Right. And so you're not, you're being just as elitist as the elites. When you do that, really, you are, you're, you're, you're talking down to people and, and we shouldn't be doing that because these are our people. These are like, at least for me, I'm a blue collar guy. So like most of the people I deal with are just like regular conservative, like shit kicking rednecks, you know, that's that, that's who I'm around all the time. And so these people don't want to be talked down to. That's a good way to get punched in the mouth around here. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I work for the last 10 years in the automotive industry and it's all with people who are aged anywhere from 30 all the way up to 70 years old. And yeah, if you go up to those guys and tell them, look, you're stupid. Um, here's a book. Read this. Like you said, you'll get punched in the fucking mouth. I, I mean, these people don't want to, like you said, they don't want to be talked down to. So why don't we come at them as though Bishop would like to say, fellow travelers. Let's say, hey, you know what? I understand your complaints. Let's Let's talk about this. Let's walk it through. And maybe I can like you said, plant that seed. Maybe I can give you this little tidbit of knowledge that will make your solution sound that much better, right? 
because you may have the solution, but you don't understand where, you know, where it can go with the right information or getting to it the right way. Um, and this is why I get frustrated with libertarians who want to come out and rail against cops. And it could just be because where I've grown up, right? All these guys are real hard back the blue kind of people. Where, where I take my dogs for a walk, I see Trump flags, back the blue flags every morning, right? If you go up to these people and say all police are bad people, fuck Trump, fuck all Republicans, which, you know, I can agree generally with the sentiment, these people are going to want to talk to you. They're going to think you're a fucking retard. So, you know, why don't we, you know, make the barrier to entry lower? Let's meet these people where they're at and maybe try and convince them of why, you know, why we're right and why our solutions, you know, complement what they want. Mm. Yeah, show them a video of a cop arresting a preacher for fucking holding a church service. Right. You know, if you I, I, or seriously, if you want to show them something, show them something that they'll relate to. Be like, dude, did you hear about this fucking news story? Check this out. This cop is arresting a preacher for holding a church service. Like, what kind of fucking regulations are these people passing down? What What is the deal with this? Like. You know, and then you can start talking about the laws and the immorality of the laws or whatever like that, and you can backdoor your way into it. But talk to them where they're at. You got to talk to them about what they what they care about. They don't care about your your righteous indignation. They don't care. You know, and and quite frankly, I've gotten beyond the point of where I really care anymore, right? Because we're in a position where we're staring down the barrel of totalitarianism. I don't have two years to wait for your pet projects to read philosophy. All right. I, I have five kids and a granddaughter. I don't, I'm not worried. I'm not going to sit here and wait on your, you know, whatever you're doing, like to read philosophy and catch up on libertarian philosophy. That's not where we're at right now. We were there five years ago. We're not there right now. And we got to change tact. We got to talk to people differently and we got to move differently and we got to react differently. Right. Whereas like Thoe Bishop working with the Republican party, there's nothing wrong with that because of where he lives. All right. Here in Texas, the libertarian party is a shit show. I don't want anything to do with those people. You could put any single one of those people in front of me. I wouldn't vote for them if my life depended on it. Right. So if the good candidates aren't there, where are they? Well, we got Duff, Don Huffines running for like primarying Greg Abbott for the governorship. Doug Huffines or Don Huffines is a is a Ron Paul libertarian Republican. Right. He's like a Thomas Massey type. Ten times better than anybody from the Libertarian Party of Texas. So we should be looking at that guy. Right. So it's, it's like, we gotta, it's not my job to be in a party affiliate. I'm not attached to any party. Part of my attraction to libertarianism was not being attached to any party. Right. And so if I see a Tulsi Gabbard working in Hawaii where they're draconian as hell, I'm going to support Tulsi Gabbard in Hawaii. If I see you know, uh, a Rand Paul in Kentucky, I'll support Rand Paul because 
they don't have to be at the exact same principled position as me for me to say better than all the rest. And at least it's a step in the right direction, you know, because the progressives, the progressive left did not get America to the point we're at by taking a large leap. It was a bunch of small steps. You read Mm -hmm. Rothbard's The Progressive Era. This shit started back in the late 1800s. This shit didn't start yesterday. And so so the fact that the ADL changed their definition of racism to be racist is, yeah, it's a problem. And point it out, right? Let's talk about, you know, what what they're saying. Just like we're we're talking about the narrative around COVID. Like, yeah, we got to talk about that. But we can also look at like I always bring up the essay, George Orwell's essay um, called Politics in the English Language, where he's pointing out the, the, the politics and politicians, you know, uh, taking away the meaning of words in 1946. He was talking about the destruction of the English language and the corruption of words in 1946. He was pointing it out in this book, 1984. I mean, like these aren't new things. So we got to find ways to relate to these people without being, without looking down our nose at them and acting like they're just a bunch of idiots because they're not backwards idiots. You can talk to any of these people you think are as a backwards idiot about something, you know, shit don't know shit about, but they're fucking damn near PhD on. Right. I don't know how many mechanics know the ins and out of libertarian philosophy, but without them, your cars wouldn't be running for very long. Yeah. Well, you know what? And I've heard you talk about this a lot and I couldn't agree more, but you know, you've said, Hey, I may not appeal to everybody and that's okay. I don't want to appeal to everybody. I've told, you know, you said you've told people don't listen to your podcast and you know what? I'm kind of the same way. Look, I'm a socially conservative libertarian, right? I'm a mechanic. I'm a, you know, heavy metal guy. I'm a exercise enthusiast. My brand of libertarianism, what I talk about, the things I talk about my show may not be for everybody. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be. But guess what? I can talk to mechanics because guess what? We've both done the same job for plenty of times. We both got the calluses on our hands. I could talk to musicians because we both, you know, have loaded in and out gear. Um, I could talk to people who like to lift heavy stuff, right? Because I've done that for plenty of years as well. You can relate to blue collar people because you've been a blue collar guy your entire life. Um, I feel like a lot of the problems that we're seeing now is because we as libertarians have failed to play to the facts on the ground, Right. We've wanted to look down our nose at people because they don't know the ins and out of all the philosophy and, oh, we're so principled and we're so much better than you. Well, we're going to have to drop that and we're going to have to start being more pragmatic and say, look, I don't care about the vehicle or I don't care about, yeah, I don't care about the vehicle. I care about the message. I care about the outcome. If the best outcome is a Republican here in Pennsylvania preaching libertarianism, sign me up. I'm cool with it. If in New York, the best guy's a Democrat, libertarian through and through, I'm cool with that. I don't care about the Libertarian Party. I don't care about the Republican Party. I don't care about the Democrat Party. I don't care. You know what I care about? Liberty. That's what I care about. I want to see liberty. I want to see freedom in our lifetimes. I don't want to have to worry about vaccine mandates. Right. But we do right now. So whoever's going to get that off my back, guess what? You got my support. 
But other than that, if you're just, you know, saying, oh, well, I'm a libertarian, but I'm just every bit as bad as all the Democrats, then I, no, no, I, I don't care. I don't, I'm not going to vote for you. I'm not supporting you. If there's a Republican who's better than you and all the libertarian stuff, guess what? The Republicans got my vote every time. And I think that's where libertarians kind of need to start focusing their energy on is just the message, not the vehicle. It has to be the facts on the ground and what we could do to increase liberty in people's lives. Yeah, well, and there's there's been that kind of movement going on. You know, you have uh, Andrew, a popular liberty. You have Matt Erickson. Pete Quinones, um, Buck Johnson, a lot of these guys I know I'm friends with and I have like nothing bad to say about any of them. Um, I consider Pete one of my best friends, you know, like we chat all the time. Like I'll text him, he'll text me, we'll be, we'll bullshit about things. Like, and I don't agree with Pete on everything. I don't agree with Buck on everything, but you're never going to meet nicer people. Like really, if somebody tells me they have a problem with Buck Johnson, there's something wrong with that person, right? <laughs> like it's like I've been at Buck's house. I've I've spent time with the guy. Like you, you're not going to convince me that Buck is a bad person. Like it's just not going to happen. It's you're you're wasting your time. And 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 Buck didn't attack anybody. I've never heard Buck attack one person ever. He's like one of the nicest guys I ever met so soft-spoken, such a sweetheart of a man. And he just, you know, like some of us care about people, right? And that's, the, I think that's what what's, what's different for some of us is some of us care about people while others only care about the ideas. And it's like, no, the ideas are great. Mm-hmm. Like I have no issues with ideas, but some of us really care about people. And we're looking at, especially like future generations, like, cause I have kids, right? My kids, I mean, my kids are in their late teens, early twenties. They're all breaking out and starting their lives. And I'm like, this, this fucking shit is going to fuck their lives up. Like, this is going to make their lives so hard, so difficult. And I don't want them to have difficult lives. Right. And, and so Whenever I'm talking about these things, I get all fired up. I get it. Like I'll start cussing. I get mad and I'm like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And it's because I'm thinking like, this is affecting my kids. This is affecting my grandkids. It it has nothing to do with, I don't expect to see Liberty in my life, like, but I would like them to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting for their generation. My, you know, I'm in my forties. I'm probably not going to live another 20, 30 years, like whatever. You know, especially since I smoke so much, but, um, I'll let you preach to me about health later. Uh, so, but it's, but it's just, I'm just like, no, I don't have, I don't have the, the patience to deal with people that are so caught up in, well, you didn't say this perfectly or you're not being completely principled here. And it's like, whatever, man, like I have kids to worry about. Like, I'm not worried about your opinion. And, 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 and this goes back to you said, like, like you said, I've told people, don't listen to my show. It's not for you. Well, you didn't say this right. Or you didn't say that right. Or you, you sound like this, or you sound like that, or you're, 
you're rough or, you know, around the edges. Yeah. I don't care. I am who I am. I'm just me, man. I like, I'm always like, you can ask anybody who's met me in person. I'm the exact same way I in person as I am on this podcast. Like that's who I am. I, I don't know. Like I told you, I'm too stupid to lie. I, I don't know how to be anything else. Like that's just who I am. It's who I've always been. It's the way I'm always going to be. I don't know what to tell you, you know? So yeah, it, there's, and I don't, I know I I'm very self-aware about like the type of people my podcast is for. I'm very aware of that. I'm very, like, I'm very aware of the people that listen to my podcast. Like I'd say, I'd say the majority of my audience have been guests on my podcast because we get that bond and, and then it's just like, we're buddies. Like, cause that's, mm -hmm my personality like when i meet you like we're good we're we're buds now like we're cool like that's just how i am and i'll defend you and i like i'll go to bat with people i like and respect and i'll be like no no you don't understand this guy whatever and that's why like that's what led up to like the the adam patrick reed coverdale shows because I, I know both these guys very well i deal with these guys like i talk to them all the time like y'all aren't that much a uh, different like there's not that much difference here i don't understand why there's this argument going on yeah so well, that's just kind of who i am i i, I make friends with everybody mm -hmm. yeah scott horton uh said or gave you the uh the name of uh oh tommy everybody's friend <laughs> um yeah Reed's, yeah I, i've i've joked reed has a residency on the show he's been on three times in um, I believe this will be the 50th episode in about four months. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just like, you know, just like you, blue collar dude, laid back, just an, another kind of everyman. He's not sitting here looking down his nose, preaching philosophy, telling you about how he read every single Rothbard <coughs> book front to back, or how he knows every bit of every foreign policy and every law out there. He's just a regular dude looking to have good conversations. Who's a libertarian, right? And this is something that I've kind of banged the table a lot about too, is that um, if we want to be a powerful movement, then we need interesting people, right? We need a culture. We need people who bring something to the table, right? You and I are both into heavy metal. That is such like a tight knit kind of culture because you go to a heavy metal, heavy metal mm. concert, there's nothing like being there screaming beside complete total strangers, sweating your ass off and drinking a beer. There's nothing like it, right? That is a culture. Well, what do we libertarians have yeah. as a culture? Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm working on, on, on some short stories and a book of short stories. I'm working on some novels and stuff like that. I know Michael Rechtenwald, he's written some fiction, uh, but the libertarian libertarians in general aren't interested in fiction. And, you know, you have, you have family members that would rather read a fiction novel, a dystopian novel or a horror novel than they would, um, read Rothbard or Mises like right. this. They don't find that stuff interesting. Whereas like they'll find like these stories interesting, right? Um, Eric July, I think he's still, I mean, I think st most people still follow him 
or find him because of his music and his talk about comic books. And now he's starting a comic book um, company of his own to to battle DC and Marvel. Right. And so we should be we should be promoting that to people, right? There was that uh, whole series of children's books, the Tuttle Twins, you know, that came out a few years back. You know, you have there there are kids in your family, like buy them that buy them a Tuttle Twins book. You know, like it, it's. We're, we have to get better at, at supporting each other in, in ignoring what we don't like about, about each other. Like you brought that up about what Scott Horton said, and that, that was probably one of the most flattering moments of my life. I like, I love Scott to death. Scott just, I can't say enough great shit about Scott. I've, I've had the opportunity to spend time with him on his boat and, my, you know, my wife loves him. I love him. Like, we're like, he's family as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, when he said that, I was just like, yeah, I'm not as smart as Keith or any of these other guys, but I'm everyone's friend. Everybody. I, I've always said that about my show is I'm probably like the best libertarian at conversation, really, because I'm not afraid to like, just get in and dig into whatever and just have the conversation and just talk and just be friends and enjoy the conversation and not worry about how much a philosophy or theory or whatever yeah. is getting put out there. You know, I, I'm, I'm more concerned about, you know, having the, a good conversation and giving people something to listen to where they'll laugh and they'll, they'll feel something, you know, and they'll enjoy it, you know, and it kind of touches all that, that, that emotional, the emotional points. And, uh, but that's just my personality. That's just who I am. So, um, I think uh, I'm definitely not everybody's friend. Not everybody likes me and I don't like everybody, but you're not going to really catch me putting myself in the middle of all that. I would, I would promote somebody I don't like that's done good work to, to spread the message because it's like, it's not about me and my personal feelings. Like that's not what this is about. My, my personal feelings and what I think about people or what people think about me, like, okay, like whatever, like you're never going to please everybody. I'm in my forties. I learned that a long time ago. You know, I've been divorced twice. I already know you're not going to please everybody. You know, so there's <laughs> a, a hard lesson to learn, but I learned, but, uh, you know, it's just, that's just the way it is. And so we got to kind of get, get past this and we got to start really looking i don't know maybe i'll have to like think about this a little bit more but maybe it's something that that some of us more creative types um can can come together on and collaborate on and and really start pushing the uh the artistic work of each other you know like you being in a band um i know ace writes um short stories Josh Childress, great friend of mine, uh, write short stories. Um, really good writer too. I, I love reading Ryan, Ryan Bunting. He writes, um, he has a book. I don't well, it's up here somewhere. Project Manicore. Um, mm -hmm. you can find it at his website, ryanbunting.com and you can go buy it. And it's a good book. I mean, there it's, I read it in like three days, you know, it's a good fiction novel, nothing wrong with it. It's really good. And, uh, 
really interesting and it, it, it grabs you from the beginning and it keeps you turning the pages. I mean, what else can you ask for? And it's not like smacking you in the face with libertarian philosophy or theory, but you get the idea of what's going on and you're like, yeah, we don't want to live in that kind of world. You know, we don't want to deal with that type of shit. And so that's what it's about. And, and maybe there's something that we can all do um, as creators and, and, and working together in that more artistic platform, like John Hartman, great painter. John Hartman is a great painter, just an excellent painter. And I love talking to John and, uh, you know, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of talent in the libertarian space. It's just, it's so everybody has, has become so individualistic and it's almost feels like the individualism that's in libertarianism is actually like a weapon inserted to keep us from coming together and, and, and for lack of a better term, coagulating and stopping the bleeding. Mm. Right. And that if, 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 if we continued on the journey of individualism, but did so in a way where we were creating community at the same time, we would actually be able to set an example for, for others. But as long as we're all at each other's throat all the time, I mean, we're going to, uh, it's just, we're not going to be able to stop anything. Oh, and talking creative cannot forget the great top lobster. What a, (laughs) one of the best creative minds in the Liberty space. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it was, uh, kind of how you said it was a really uh, good moment for you to have Scott give you that kind of compliment. Um, I want to say it was either shortly before or after I had Tho Bishop on this show, um, episode 22, I want to say. And um, he quoted me. Um, I played at a, a club called, or a, a venue called the King of Clubs in Columbus. Right. And it was a video of me doing my solo and uh, my band, A Common Crown Song Ever After. And uh, he said, you know, the best part about Kyle is that the least interesting thing about him is being a libertarian. And it's, it's, a, it's a big compliment yeah. by somebody who I really look up to in this movement. But, um, you know, he then said after that, yeah, that's something that we all should aspire to. And, you know, not only was I incredibly grateful for such a nice compliment, but I think there's a lot of truth to that is that if we want more people to be convinced of our ideology, we need to not be a bunch of Neanderthals and losers who people don't care about at all, right? We have to be relatable people. And if we're interesting people who have a lot going on and seem like good role models and good leaders of our community, then people are going to say, okay, well, what else is interesting about them? Why are they so interesting? Um, you know, why should I look up to them? And, you know, hey, look at this philosophy that they believe in. Well, that philosophy is interesting and that contributes to their, you know, to their being overall. So why don't we kind of listen to more what they have to say? Um, that's kind of my thinking from the outset. And that's part of my push for this kind of show is to, you know, bring this message of just being better, whatever health, whatever liberty looks like to you embody that and try to bring that in your community and bring that into being so that we you encourage other people to do the same. Well, and also like how, how much of a human are you being? 
like really like i don't know of another way of asking it like when's the last when's the last time you you had a conversation with somebody that you were trying to spread the message to without talking about libertarianism when's the last time you just reached out to somebody and said hey man i was just thinking about you wanted to see how your day was I just wanted to check on you. I know it's been a rough couple of years for everybody. I just figured I'd, I'd check on you. You know, how's the wife, how the kids, yada, yada, yada. And you don't have to talk libertarianism. You're, you're making that personal connection with that person. It's not about, you know, what you can get out of it or what you can convince them of. And it, I mean, really like if you convince somebody to be a libertarian, like what did you get out of it? Other than some like, boost your pride like yeah okay yeah i'm smart enough to make this person believe you know it's, okay fine be a human relate to these people some you know andrew of popular liberty he, he he said it a bunch of times he's kind of funny uh he says the the most important book any libertarian needs to read is is how to make friends and influence people and i think he's right like libertarians have this like complete blind spot on personal association and relating to people and on just the level of people, you know, and you know, if you're having a bad day and somebody just out of the blue texts you and says, Hey, I just wanted to check and see how you were doing today or whatever. It, it makes you feel better. Right. And you remember that because what's that? I think it was a Dale Carnegie tweet or not tweet uh, saying where he said, People don't remember, what is it? Um, people don't care what you have to say until, until you, or, or people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's what it was. Hmm. Yeah, they do. That's... You know? And so I'm okay. pretty sure that was Dale Carnegie that said that. Yeah, it is. It was people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. That's what it is. Right. Well, you know, this and, kind of and, cer- Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just saying that's a very important lesson for people to learn, you know, right. about relating to others. Well, this kind of circles back to the whole, you know, Jordan Peterson and Donald Trump thing is that they just had to say they cared, right? They built a relationship. You had capital with these people just because you told me you didn't hate them, which isn't a hard thing to do. And it's not hard to reach out to somebody. Donald say, Trump, hey, yeah, man, Donald Trump would stand up. Donald Trump would stand up on stage and say, I love you for five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, like he, he knew like, no matter what you think about the guy, it's he understands how to connect with his audience. He understands that, you know, and that's part of the reason I I am the way I am on my show where I'll talk about, like, I'll talk about my family. I'll talk about like hard times I've dealt with. I'll talk, like, I'll get really like kind of interpersonal. It took me a long time. It took me probably about two years of podcasting before I, I got comfortable enough with talking about like my own inner workings and the way that my mind works and the way that I feel. And I feel like it's made a big difference in my podcast. Like it's made a big difference with the way that I connect with my audience. Like, cause when somebody listens to my show, I know they listen to my show because of the way they approach me when they talk to me, 
when they like if we're just interacting on twitter i can tell immediately that you're a listener of mine because you interact with me as if you know me and i'm like all right yeah okay and and so i'm going to pay you the same respect i will anything you bring to my attention at that point in time i will steal man for you because i'm like i'm not going to I'm not going to think the worst of people just because they say something they disagree with. I will sometimes I'll read a tweet. I'll see a tweet come at me and I'll read it five or six times. And I'll be like, what is this person trying to say? And I might not answer them or respond to them for a couple of days because I'm really trying to like take into like consideration. All right. What are they trying to say to me now? If I, if you're not a listener, I can usually tell if somebody listens to my show. They know who I am. They know the type of person I am, right? By the way that they approach me. It, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go to blows with somebody like that that like treats me like a douche. I'll go to blows with them really quick. And uh, I get kicked off Twitter a lot because I say a lot of stuff I'm not supposed to. That's that blue collar in me. I'm like, well... <laughs> We, we always just called each other fucking faggots. What do you mean? Yeah. You know? But <laughs> that's just the way it is. Books, stop. Uh, dude, you're good. Um, yeah, I got a uh <laughs> I got a story I might have to tell you off air because I don't want to get thrown off YouTube or any podcast. Oh yeah, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to beep you're gonna have to beep that one, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, dude, there's so many things from and I'm sure you know just working around older guys guys who, you know, worked around each other for years and years and years in that kind of environment. The work's so freaking hard and it sucks so bad that uh, you have to have a sense of humor about it or else you'll just fucking die on the job. Yeah, there, there was this there was this one guy, big, big black dude, funny. One of the funniest guys I ever met in my life. The dude was probably like, he was built like, um, like the dude from the Green Mile. Mm-hmm like just a huge huge black guy and we were we were working at uh at dow the chemical plant down the road and we were painting tanks out there and he came around you know the you know the paint outfits it's all white and you got the little white hood yeah he came out and he pulled that white hood up to a point and he goes you can't beat him join him and we about fell off that damn tank about 20 foot down we were dying <laughs> this, it was just hilarious. Oh my god! Yeah, it, yeah. It, but he was—he was just one of those one of those guys that he was just so carefree. He didn't care. He did not care one way or the other. He was just having a good time, and that was just part of it, you know. And that's part of working in that atmosphere, you know. Um, I've never met I every person. I've ever met that that is quote unquote minority or people of color had been a blue collar guy and none of them would put up with the pandering that they see today. None of them, like not one of them. They're like, what the man, I ain't a bitch. <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> that would be the first thing that came out of their mouth. Like, I ain't no bitch. Don't apologize to me. You know, it, cause you know, you talk to somebody like Quincy or something like that. Yeah, that's the that's my people you know like that's just who we are we just we're just we don't care 
It, it's mm. it's not about like race or anything like that. We're all out there trying to do work. And we have respect for anybody who's out there trying to work and working hard and, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I, I don't understand. And I think part of it's growing up in the 90s, being Gen X, we were really kind of like, I don't know. We kind of did our own thing. And uh, by the time all of us started paying attention to politics, it was already a disaster. And we were like, oh, shit. I guess maybe we should have gotten involved in this. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just a, it was just a different time. It was just so laid back. And it's, it's, it's really difficult to look around right now. Like, man, why everybody's so high strung? Chill out a little bit, man. Like, it's like that Bill Hicks joke. Like, marijuana shouldn't only be legal. It should be mandatory. Yeah. <laughs> and somebody a joint would be like, smoke this, man. You're taking life way too seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nah, dude. You know what? I've never smoked in my life, but I, I do see a lot of people who like, it's like, man, you probably like take a load off. Um, dude, you've been very generous with your time. I want to do a few questions and we'll uh, close this motherfucker out. Um, 90s Metallica, load, reload. What's your take? Oh, it's saying anger too. Oh Jesus, they're all horrible. Oh really? They're all just. Oh, I hated all of them. I hated everything after the Black Album, man. (laughs) This was like, I hated everything. I hated everything Metallica did after the Black Album. I was just not a fan. Saint Anger was the worst though. Mm. The snare. Oh my God, (laughs) you want to talk about a headache, dude? Oh, the first time I ever heard that, I was like, what the hell is he doing? Beating on a trash can? Like, what the hell is going on here? That so, is the worst snare sound he had ever heard in my life. I think I think he was trying to get that helmet, like that helmet, like jazz snare kind of sound going. But it was bad, man. That thing, that snare stuck out so horribly. Like, you will never get me. I would say load or reload way before saying anger. Because, oh, I would never say that was a good album. That was probably the worst album I've ever heard. So, the only... Don't hate me. Love Load and Reload because I'm a huge blues fan. Gary Moore, uh, Kenny Wayne Shepard. Um, you name the blues guy. absolutely love him. Uh, I'm blanking on a bunch of their names right, right now. Um, and I Ray Vaughn was the best ever. Right. Um, and I did like the unnamed feeling off San Anger. That actually was a pretty fucking good tune. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't know the song, man. I just know... I know that I know like my buddy bought the album and we we turned it on and I think we got like three songs into it and we threw it away. I, it was I can uh, understand. I was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, like that, I can't, yeah. I mean, at least give me the fact that the snare was the worst thing. Oh ever. no, no, absolutely, like, absolutely. I've never heard a snare that bad. Yeah, be honest. <laughs> um, newer Testament, the last three albums, let's say. Uh, I don't even know if I've heard any of their new stuff, man. Oh, okay. Oh, well, uh... I can't remember the last. I can't remember the last time I listened to Testament. Uh, yeah, man. Fuck. I think I last time I listened to Testament, I was still in high school. Holy shit! Was, I mean, you're yeah. That was like '97. <laughs> like, okay. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Like, um, I'm I'm really I'm really bad about keeping up with the older bands. Cause I found new bands that I really adore and 
and so I found bands like Gajira and Mastodon and and so I kind of I don't know I kind of abandoned a lot of the I I wouldn't say I abandoned it if I run into it I'll still listen to old metal but mm-hmm. and every once in a while I'll see like um who did I see the other day came out with a was it uh it wasn't Volbeat. Who was it? Someone, one of the older bands came out with a, with a new album and I listened to it and I shared it on Twitter because I was like, Oh cool, man. Yeah, this is badass. Uh, but I don't really keep up with a lot of the older bands anymore. I just, I don't listen to a whole lot of music anymore. I, I, I wish I, I guess I wish I did uh, on a, on like Saturday nights, my wife and I will sit up and we'll listen to music. Um, a lot of times it's, it's her, running the show so uh we're listening to like some a lot of times we're listening to stuff i don't really care for like ebm which i'm not an ebm fan uh but she is but you know she's also a huge cataclysm fan i brought her uh the last concert she saw in south africa before she moved to america was cataclysm and the first show i brought her to in america was cataclysm so we oh man and then uh i brought her to see double driver I brought her to see Double Driver with Hatebreed. That's fucking um, awesome. So, yeah, yeah. So there are some bands I still keep up with, but yeah, Testament's not one of the ones that I've ever I've kept up with. I would say uh, listen to the Formation of Damnation if you ever get time. Um, that was album okay. that they put out in 2007. That one was really good. Um, the following album after that, I think, was Dark Roots of the Earth. That one was good. The one after that, Brotherhood of the Snake, it's kind of like the songs on that album that were good were like really good. And the songs that weren't, you know, weren't as good were just kind of like, okay. And they put out one, I want to say two years ago. I can't remember what it's called, but it was, it was okay as well. Um, I've been listening to Revocation, Misery Index, and I got a playlist going Misery on my phone Index right now. Is- fucking amazing oh my god i remember hearing uh the carrion call back in like it must have been like 2011 on um on a cable i can't remember what the fuck the channel was but uh it was one of those channels and they had just heavy metal music and i remember hearing the carrion call mm-hmm. i'm like oh my god this is fucking sick <laughs> i've gotten way more as i've gotten older i my taste hasn't like I haven't gotten into like softer music, but I've gotten more into progressive music. Okay. It's like, I, I, I don't know. It's just something like, I, I, I really love, um, Dillinger escape plan. Um, yeah. I mean, they're not around anymore, obviously, but, uh, Mashuga, I'm a real big fan of Mashuga. Did you like that um, new song they put out? Mashuga's new song. Yes. I did like it. I was like, oh. yes, this is exactly what I expect from a sugar, you know? <laughs> so, nice. uh, what did you think of Killer Be um, Killed? You mentioned Mastodon and uh, Dillinger Escape Plan. Have you listened to Killer Be Killed? I love him. I love okay. him. Max is a fucking beast. Like, I love Killer Be Killed. I was actually going to bring them up because they are one of my favorite bands to listen to now. So, um, I remember hearing Dust in the Dark. I thought they were first i thought their first album was better than their second album i agree um, but but you know troy 
I, I, I watched this show on YouTube. Have you ever watched this, uh, two minutes to late night? Okay. So it's like this, it's this goofy kind of like Saturday night live kind of metal show. And, and so they'll have like all these metal musicians on there doing all these cover songs. And the more I hear Troy do covers, he just becomes one of my favorite vocalists. I, I just, I love the guy. I, every time when I, I heard him, they did a, they did a, a cover of, I think it was Holy Wars and he was doing the vocals. I know I what you're like, talking oh about. Oh my God. This is so good. So then they did a, they, yeah. they, they did a, what, what was they They did one Metallica song. Oh shit. Let me pull this up real quick. Let me, cause I can't remember which song it was. Um, yeah. they did one song by Metallica and it was like, they did the fast part slow and the slow oh, parts fast. I can't remember. Oh, what, it was I, so fucking good. Was it black? Uh, I, it right I can't here. remember what it was. It may have been black. Yes, it was blackened. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah no, it I was so good. I was like, yeah. this is so cool, man. So yeah, no, Troy has become one of my favorite vocalists to listen to, man. He's just, he's so talented. He's so good. Yeah, you know what's funny is I remember... I kind of got introduced to Mastodon because of Killer Be Killed, right? I was a huge Max Cavalera fan as a kid. I mean, I was jamming. I used to have um, Chaos AD, and I always played my mom's Honda Civic when I was driving around. I, like, fucking grew up doing that. And then um, when they put out that album, Killer Be Killed, I remember hearing Troy. I'm like, man, this dude's got a killer fucking voice. And I remember listening to uh, Crystal Skull. It's just that fucking verse. It's such as cold. I was like, oh my God. It sounds like fucking mountains crashing. It was just the most fucking wicked shit <laughs> ever. Oh, so yeah, ever since then, I yes. absolutely love Troy. And um, him singing, uh, you could find a video of them doing it live, but um, Crack the Sky, just his fucking wail. It's just fucking awesome awesome like the oh most, yes yeah that dude's got a voice like nobody's fucking business and what like, people don't know about what people don't know about mastodon what people don't know about mastodon is is there's like three of them singing yep and their drummer is the one doing all the harmony uh-huh i mean like and he's just a remarkable fucking drummer man and he's yeah. so good you know um that was and, and so yeah. yeah no mastodon is is a very talented band have you ever listened to uh call of the mastodon their first album no actually uh, okay so you got to go listen to that and then then listen to like oblivion or something and you'll be like whoa that's the same fucking band because their first album like call of the mastodon they didn't really sing they used yeah. the vocals as a percussion instrument which was, it was interesting. It was really cool. It was really progressive, but none of them had any like confidence in their, in their vocal styles. They still don't. And so if you read their interviews, they're like, we're terrible singers, but I'm like, Dude, these guys <laughs> put out some fucking good music. They have for like the last fucking 30 yes. years almost. Yes. They're, they're amazing. But yeah, call of the Mastodon, you wouldn't even recognize it uh, without the, Without that kind of like really like hardcore rush influence in the in the instrumentals, like you wouldn't even know it was the same band. Like it, it's just that it's just that you know that rush influence that really 
kind of ties it all together. It's like, oh, okay, and see how they progressed. But they didn't really sing. They just kind of like grunted and growled. And it was like, it's like, are these even words? Are you saying something? Like, what is happening here? But, but it was really an interesting album. I really liked it. You know, I remember I saw them at a small club in Houston with a band called Black Tusk. You ever heard of Black Tusk? Yeah. Yeah, I like them a lot. They have that a really interesting punk style, like like they kind of like meshes with this like sludge from the south. So I really like them a lot. But yeah, I saw them. I guess it was two thousand five. I saw them together, and then the next weekend I was I was in New Orleans seeing. Uh, it's when we hung out with Down. When I hung out with Jimmy Bauer and mm-hmm. all them was that next weekend. Yeah. So my- well, it was two thousand ten. Wow. My first concert was 2009. I saw Job for a Cowboy, Guar, and Lamb of God. I was 15 years Job old. Job for a Cowboy. Yeah. Dude, I remember. Oh, I love those guys. I will never forget seeing Guar for as long as I live. And I've seen Guar before their singer died and after. And, dude, there's something about Dave Brocky and just the fucking original guar it was so good i remember being 15 years old i had real long hair and uh fucking odorous is said oh give me that twatest pussy fuck all he stabs a sword in this little fucking baby and it's shooting <laughs> blood everywhere i went home shower this is fucking die everywhere yeah dude i live and then lamb of god came out and mark morton was he wasn't touring with them. They actually had Doc Coyle from God Forbid filling in. And uh dude, it was it was awesome. First concert, yeah, yeah back in 2009 at uh, the Pittsburgh Station Square Amphitheater. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I saw uh, dude, the Lamb of God show I saw was fucking phenomenal. Who was mm-hmm. it? Silosis, um Hell Yeah, and Lamb of God. I saw that tour. In, yep. Yeah, it was in 2013. Silosis kicked ass, man. Yeah. I had heard I had heard of them and then like seeing them live, I was like, oh wow, these guys are fucking killer. <laughs> like I loved Silosis. I haven't heard anything from them in a while though. Their guitar player is in volumes, I wanna say. I might have that wrong. Volumes are monuments. I'm I might have that wrong, okay. but I know he plays for another band now. So I believe they're kind of hanging a little loose. Um, I, I, I wore this shirt because not only are you from Texas, but have you heard heavy is Texas? No. So do you, have you listened to uh, Philip and Selma and the illegals? Oh, hell yeah. Okay. A lot. So, yeah. So <laughs> I that, listen to anything Phil does. <laughs> fuck yeah. 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 So that first album he put out, right? He had Marzi Montezari on guitar, right? Well, Marzi wasn't with the band after them. And he went on to play an X Hoarder, actually. So that latest X Hoarder album that came out, More in the Southern Skies in 2019. Mm. Um, he was on that album. And he also started Heavy as Texas. Um, they're so freaking good. Um, Kyle from X Hoarder sings in Heavy as Texas as well. It's uh, if you like Pantera, which, you know, obviously um, you'll like them. They fucking kick ass. It's it's nice and heavy. It's groovy. 
shredding. Marzi's a fucking killer guitar player. So I, I can't remember what track it was on the first Philip and uh, the Illegals. Um, it was a longer track, and the end of it was a long solo that Marzi did. Oh, I, I don't want to say it was Walkthrough Exits Only. I, I can't remember what the hell it was called, but uh, I remember hearing uh, the first two singles that they put out um, on that album that they did, I think, with Warbringer. Uh, conflict and i can't remember the other song but at first yeah. i didn't like it but then it really grew on me it, it took a couple times kind of going through and down honestly was the same way and even sepultura's roots was kind of that way for me that i just kind of had to listen to him a few times and then i'm like okay i fucking love this <laughs> it was um what was what was that other what was that other uh project that phil did years ago after pantera um super joint ritual yes that's kind of what phil, what phil and selmo and the illegals reminded me of it had that kind of okay. like that super joint kind of feel to it yeah. and uh where it was just like just in your face there's a band i really like out of uh out of new orleans called um uh, Soylent Green. Have you ever heard them? I've heard of them. They're they're kind of like that. Like it's it's one of those. Like I like them a lot, and if I ever got a chance to see them, I would go see them. But uh, I have to be in a mood for it. Like it's mm-hmm. like really like it's not something I'm just gonna just turn on. Right. And uh, that was my thing with Down. Like it was like. It didn't matter what I wanted to listen to because you got to like, like my favorite, my favorite bands growing up were like the doors and Alice in Chains. Like that was, a, I like that kind of bluesy, soulful, dark sound. Mm-hmm. And so like when I started, like when I ran into down in the nineties, like what was, I, I was like, I guess I was a freshman in high school. So it was like 93, 94 when I ran into down when that was when Nola Nola had come out, yep. I think in 92 and 92 um, or 94. So, yeah. It was somewhere around there. It, it was right in that area. It was right around my freshman year of high school. I started listening to down, but I was already a fan of Allison chains. I was a fan of the doors. So I liked that kind of bluesy dark kind of sound. And so down brought in that like heavy metal and mixed it with that blues. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just like, oh, okay. So, so you kind of had like this, like really like interesting mix. And then I was a, I was a crowbar fan, you know, mm-hmm. so Kirk being there. And then I had listened to, I, I knew of, I hate God. I had friends that were really big fans of, I hate God, obviously corrosion of conformity, you know, fit right into there. So that that kind of meshing of all of these groups and i actually heard down before i ever heard pantera oh, so wow. even being yeah even being from texas i heard nola before i heard cowboys from hell and so nola always stuck with me as like one of the one of the best albums like and then i just feel like phil like he lost like a lot of his high in as he got older he lost that high pitch he he just couldn't get there anymore but if you listen to what he's doing like on ghost along the mississippi and he's like it's like he's singing like in a seven four while the music's in a four four 
and it has like yeah. this kind of offbeat thing happening. Like it's just like so interesting. It's it's almost eerie. Like it, it's like gets into your bones. And that's what I always loved about him. There was like this kind of like this, it's kind of like um, Perry Farrell always sang like, like half a step off, right? With Jane's addiction. He was always like half a step off, but it worked. It, it just kind of gave it this kind of like odd feel to it. And that's what I really dug about down. And so I think that was kind of like what really like pushed me more into the progressive side of things was like, hearing like tool with these off time kind of signatures down had this off time uh jane's addiction had this off time signature you know and then my dad always listened to rush in kansas mm -hmm. yes and all these bands when i was growing up so it was like it was just so easy for me to kind of follow that and and now i'm listening to all kinds of crazy shit and i'm like what what, what, why am I listening to this? You know, like, <laughs> like animals as leaders. It's like, wow, this is like so complex and so hard. I, I don't, yeah. I don't even know what the hell they're doing. Why am I listening to it? It doesn't make any sense. You know? Yes. Well, when I listen <laughs> to stuff like that, that's usually like almost punishment for myself. Um, I, I mentioned revocation earlier, but uh, David Davidson is like the most disgustingly good guitar player. And he sings and plays like these riffs that I couldn't even play regularly. And I've been playing guitar for like, 15 years look at some of the shit he's playing i'm like yeah i i feel like no way absolutely couldn't do it animals or yeah animals as leaders uh toasted abasi same deal like oh fuck, fuck you dude <laughs> incredible yeah just incredible it's like wow my dad used to have this one album i <coughs> excuse me um it was um a band called acoustic alchemy and those guys on it was like i think it was like six acoustic guitars those guys were just remarkable. It was just, it was, it wasn't heavy, you know, obviously it was like really classical almost, but it, they, they were just, it was like a miniature orchestra of acoustic guitars. Dudes were just so phenomenal, you know, and listening to things like that growing up, it is just like kind of stuck with me. And I guess it's kind of pushed me. Whereas I love, like, I still love that raw, heavy in your face, like, pantera or zach wild there's something about when i want to just sit back and i want to you know i'm going to sit outside my chickens are running around i'm just drinking a couple of beers enjoying nature and i turn on like some mastodon and i really like you know, like let myself like just kind of be absorbed into those time signatures and the things that they're doing instrumentally it's just so good or like the other day i went on this freaking I, I went on a rush kick and I was listening to rush for like 10 hours or whatever, you know, so I was <laughs> like, it, it's just like there, I, I would, I won't do that with, with a lot of bands, but I would do that with like tool or Mastodon rush, even Gajira. I just, I love the things that they do instrumentally. I mean, like I said, those, those offbeat time signatures, they really, I don't, there's something about it that I find so appetizing. I, I just dig into it. I'm just like, wow, like, did you hear that? I could listen. Like there are certain songs like push it by tool. I could listen to that song over and over and over again, listening to them go from a D minor to an A minor and just the way that it intermingles and, and like the music is telling as much of the story as the lyrics are. It's like, I love things like that, you know? So. Yeah, dude, that's, I remember hearing uh, Tools, what the hell was that newest single? And I know a lot of people are kind of iffy about their new album, but uh, 
I remember reading a comment and saying like, you need to listen to this on big speakers, but that kind of is how tool is, is that like everybody's doing their own thing and it just amasses together in one amorphous, awesome fucking blob. And I remember thinking about that and listening to it. I'm like, yeah, the drums are like doing something that like doesn't go with the guitar. The bass is doing something completely different and Manyard singing like <laughs> off time, but it works. And I don't know anybody else that could do that, you know, to the, to the same degree, yeah. but it's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. It, it, that's probably why it, that's probably why it takes them 10 years to release an album too. So because you know that's a lot that's a lot of fucking yeah. work <laughs> i mean can you yeah i mean you're you, you play in a band i mean like your your basic signature timing from what i gathered with which you were playing was like a basic four four i mean it's not overly complicated stuff but i mean like when you have that many people coming together you know all doing different things trying to fit them together like these little puzzle pieces it's like, man, that's that's got to be so difficult, man. <laughs> like, yeah. And you know, every one of those guys in, you know, every one of those guys in Tool, has has an ego, right? Like, you've got to know it, you know. I mean, I'm sure they're decent dudes. I mean, I've seen Maynard on Joe Rogan. He seems like a a nice enough laid back guy, but it's just like you know that when it comes to music, they're all like, yeah, I'm the best ever. So you're gonna do what I say. <laughs> yeah there's you like know. no mistake in it it's like these guys are disgustingly good and like there will probably never be another tool like there is now because they essentially kind of mainstreamed yeah. progressive rock like there was rush but like tool and rush are like two completely different wavelengths like rush is old school progressive music and then tools like this 90s rock progressive and they both appeal to completely different audiences, but they're both fucking awesome in their own way. I don't, man. Did you hear the newest Tool, Tool album? Yeah. Dude, I, I listened to that album, and all I could think of was, was Rush. Like, mm -hmm. that entire album. I sent it to my dad, and I was like, man, this sounds, this, it sounds like Rush wrote this. <laughs> like it's like because it's all like fantasy and you know like i was just like oh my god i could i could hear getty lee singing this like it mm. would it would like work you know so yeah no i i think no matter how far away you get from rush like when you, when it comes to bands like mastodon or tool um or these progress progressive rock bands you're going to hear that rush influence it's it's just gonna bleed through because Rush was such a dynamic band. I mean, it, it, we, I was laughing because uh, I heard somebody say the other day that uh, Rush was their favorite. Well, he said, he said, all right, now, now I want to talk about my favorite three-piece Canadian progressive rock band. And it's like, yeah, there's only one. And so like, I, I, I texted my dad. I was like, yeah, this guy, I was like, this just made my day hearing this guy said he wanted to talk about his favorite three-piece Canadian progressive rock band. And he goes, yeah, it's got to be Rush. Now, can we talk about my favorite three-piece, uh, favorite my favorite three-piece Welsh progressive rock band? And he's talking about Budgie, and you know, and so it's just these influences that just kind of like float through and kind of come through. I, I don't think you'll ever get rid of them. Like it, that's just Rush did such amazing things to music, you know. Yeah, and. There's not many other bands that I think love or have that same 
you know, touch that they did. And prog rock's definitely like a, a very niche thing, but um, you know, some people are just born with it, and some people aren't. Like I look at the guys in my band, and look, me and my drummer are fucking airtight, but like I don't think we could go off and say, all right, well. I'm going to like play in a completely different time signature and you are going to as well, but somehow we're going to make this work. I, I don't think I'm that talented. I will be straight up honest. Ain't in me. me. (laughs) Well, you were, uh, we were talking about Pantera earlier and we were like, I'll send you this video I was watching. It's these guys, like it's this one, it's a British guy and an American guy. They go on for like 30 minutes and, in the, I think the first five minutes of of the um, the video were probably the most interesting because they were drawing the parallels between Dimebag Daryl and Eddie Van Halen, and like when you start seeing it, you're like, oh, they're like the same person. <laughs> it's, it's it was it's just crazy, you know. And uh, they were comparing that 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 Van Halen song, you know the the song "I Am the One." Mm-hmm. Okay, so they were comparing that guitar riff and they, that groove, the way that Eddie Van Halen plays that groove to the way Dimebag plays like all his grooves. And they were like, yeah, he kind of like almost got his style from this one particular song. Yeah, well, he made it very, very abundantly clear many, many times that Kiss and uh, Eddie Van Halen were like the two biggest influences on him. And I'm very interested to see that because I don't, want to say i don't hear it but dime was so distinctive in his style and like just that like smooth as glass kind of shredding that uh you know eddie van halen i don't want to say had like a rough style but he had his own style and obviously ace freely was you know less so i don't want to say less melodic but he's quite he wasn't quite the shredder that either one of them were but, you know, obviously they all, all have their own strengths that they all play to. And, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting that um, someone's able to draw those parallels, but I'm stoked to kind of see how they kind of bear that out because I can't say I've ever necessarily squared that circle. Well, what, what they were talking about was, like, if you hear somebody try to play, like, Eddie Van Halen, they never quite get it. Yep. And if you hear somebody try to play like dime bag they never quite get it and it's like there's something about the way they were able they found like this way to groove within the music that was so unique that even if you can nail every note they nailed you can't do it the way they did it like for whatever reason like you just can't do it and so but yeah i know like they were they were making parallels and like i said i'll send you the video i'll find it i'll send it to you uh, they were making parallels because both of them originally wanted to be drummers. Both of them had worked to beat, to save up money, to buy a drum kit. And their brothers learned how to play the drums while they were out working, you know, things like that. And yeah. So they were like, they both were kind of like, well, I guess I'm left with guitar because my brother's the drummer now, you know, like that type of deal. And it was like, both of them became two of the most phenomenal guitar players ever, you know? obviously yeah dude for real i uh i guess one of my biggest regrets in life is that i never got to see either one of them and eddie van halen passed away you know what almost two years ago now and dime 
you know, we're going to be coming up on 20 years here shortly before we even freaking know it. Um, Tommy, dude, we've, yeah, we've covered everything. I don't know if we really left any stones. <laughs> this is an awesome conversation, man. Um, tell everybody where they can find you, brother. I can do this all night. Year zero, man. Libertarianinstitute.org forward slash year dash zero forward slash. You got to remember that second forward slash. I think Harley cursed me with that forward slash, but it's there. And so I had to remember to say that. So it's libertarianinstitute.org forward slash year dash zero forward slash. And that's, that's where you find my podcast. And uh, you can find me on Twitter. I don't remember what my Twitter handle is because I've had to change it. It's uh, basically Vladimir Lenin backwards or some shit like that. Um, so, you know, if I could remember what that said, uh, that might be helpful. But I, I don't, I'm really not on Twitter that often. I, I go on there to kind of just uh, to publish things like, like my podcast and stuff and stay in touch with people. But you can always reach me on Twitter. Uh, Tommy Salmons at gmail.com is uh, how you can email me. TommySalmons.com is my Substack, So like, yeah, I'm not hard to find. I'm just kind of, I'm not a big social media fan. I don't, I don't really like it. And it's just kind of like, eh. it's like cancer. Yeah. Yeah, dude, you're way better off. Dude, this was an awesome conversation. I would love to have you on again sometime. And uh, I think I got a plan to do that. So uh, yeah, thank you everybody for tuning in. And I hope you all uh, got a lot out of it. I know I sure as hell did. And uh, it's nice to kindly, you know, see somebody else in the libertarian movement who's into heavy metal as much as I am. So um, until next time, everybody, take care. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.